Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. From roommates to co-hosts, this is The Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Backcheck. Brendan and Stefan here. As always, we have a great episode for you. We're going to dive into the upcoming World Juniors Tournament, giving us some hockey in August. We're going to talk about the Islanders, Nazem Kadri, Matthew Barzal, talk about the Rangers and improving their five-on-five play, as well as a lot of other stuff. And later on in the episode, we have an interview with QMJHL head coach John Goins. Uh, he is the coach of the Cape Breton Eagles. So, Great interview there, a lot of insight, a lot of name dropping too, so you might want to stick around and listen to that. That'll be the second half of this episode. Stefan, how you doing today, buddy? I'm not going to lie, I'm exhausted, but you know, that's why God invented coffee, so I think we're good here. Look at us, both drinking coffee at the same oh, exact time. We're chugging we it. A, we should be sponsored. Both chugging coffee out of our white mugs bright and early here in the morning. It's a Bright and early, nine eighteen a.m. on a on a weekday when we're up for work. But yeah, bright it, it, and it early. Feels, it feels bright and early. You know, anytime yeah. I start my work day at, at nine, I'm like, you know what? It's it's tough. So it, it's early. We'll, we'll go it's with early. That. Yeah, we'll go with that. It's er- early enough in the day. But I think we should start with everybody wants to know about Nas and Carter. What's the latest? Well, right now it's like all quiet on the Western Front here. Um, this past weekend, I reached out to someone, had a good conversation that pretty much not to say guaranteed Kaji to the Island, but said it was a done deal. It's not a matter of if, but when, and the biggest thing holding back the Island right now is their salary cap space. You can quickly go through it. I wrote an article about, about the cap. Um, a couple of things to consider. If you look at cap friendly right now, and cap friendly is great. I mean, me and you, Brendan, we use cap friendly for pretty much everything there. But one thing they don't do is that they don't look at the, like some salaries are buried. So, for example, the Islanders have 11.1 and change in cap space, but cap friendly is not taken into consideration that Robin Sallow, who's probably going to start in the NHL unless the Islanders bring in a depth defenseman, he has an $800,000 cap hit, but that's not counted towards the cap. It should be. So the Islanders have around $10.3 million in space. Um, if they do sign a veteran defenseman, it'll be to a league minimum, so around the same amount of money there anyway. So the Islanders have things to deal with. Alexander Romanov needs a contract. Noah Dobson needs a contract. Kiefer Bellows needs a contract. While the Islanders also need cap space to sign Kadri. Now, the deal for Kadri isn't known. I know Kadri wanted over $7 million on the open market, and he wanted like a long-term deal, seven to eight years. And I think the reason why you haven't heard a lot about him is because he couldn't get that. I think a lot of teams were skeptical. He's entering his age 32 season. 
coming off a fantastic year, career year with the juggernauts of the Colorado Avalanche. So you have to separate the player from the team and teams I think are having a hard time saying, you know what, we commit the money. I don't think the money, the annual money is the problem. I think Kyrie deserves it. I think it's the fact that you're looking at a long, again, Kyrie deserves a long-term deal with what he's had to deal with in the NHL. He get your one chance at free agency. You want insurance. You want stability. I think if Colorado had the cap space, he would be back there in a heartbeat. You just want a championship there. I think you want to be there. But at the same time, he knows what he's worth. He knows this is an opportunity that he might not ever get again. And I think the Islanders could do it. I think the Islanders are planning on doing it. I think it's going to happen, just clearing the cap space right now. So I think, you know, quickly just crunched numbers the other day. Let's say Romanov signs for $2.2 million. I took that number based on what um, Jokic got with Columbus Blue Jackets. He got two point six on his bridge deal and more offensive than Romanov in his game. So he said around 2.2. I think if the Islanders get Noah Dobson on a bridge deal at 4 million, that's, that's beautiful for them. I think it could be done. We see Pelican Pulak were locked up. Four to four and a half. Why not? No, because the market for young defensemen is too high right now. Look at what they're all getting. Yeah, but I, but you have to look at what Pelican Pulak signed for. They got, they're way different players though. Dobson already is young. He already can play defense. He already can score. And he's proven it. He's going to be the quarterback of the power play. But we're talking about a bridge a deal here. We're not talking about a long-term deal here. We're talking about a bridge. I think the way Lula Merlo works, I think he could get it done. Also, if you're saying, hey, we're bringing in a guy like Kadri, we need as much cap space as possible. Dobson on a bridge, of, right, let's say four and a half, whatever it is. But I, I think he could get it for four. It would be, I'm, it would be a, a fantastic team deal if he got it at four. Um, we'll see. And then you have Kiefer Bellows. Around 850k, that's what Sebastian Ajo is getting. That puts the Islanders about 3.75 million dollars over the cap, and they got to clear contracts. Now there were reports during the NHL draft that Josh Bailey was not being shopped. I'm not saying that wasn't true at the time of the draft, but I can say now that he is being shopped. You look at another player like Pajot. I don't think that makes a lot of sense for the Islanders to do that. You bring an inner center, you're getting rid of a versatile center who's on the penalty kill, who wins faceoffs, who does all those. Th- untangible things that you know Barry Trotz loves to talk about. He's no longer the coach, but Lane Lambert's probably similar in regards to details. I think bringing in Kadri and losing Pajot makes the team weaker. I wouldn't do that. You have Josh Bailey, $5 million cap it. Problem is, Brennan, you know, every team that's trying to move cap is having a really hard time. Look at Pacioretty. Vegas had no choice but to get rid of him for nothing. I think if the Islanders did want to move uh, all of Bailey's money and not after keep any of it or pay him at all you have to put in a sweetener could it be a key for bellows who's not under contract i saw a lot of people saying well, how can you trade bellows he's so good he's good there's no place in the starting lineup for him i don't think two years three years down the road there will be a place for him starting so at this point you might as well use him as an asset he definitely had a better uh season than he's had in the past this past year but again there's no spot for him now you got to use what you have the islanders don't have amazing prospects in their pool that have that much value not saying Bellows has that much value either, but to take on a team looking like Arizona, for example. Keeper Bellows played with Clayton Keller in the U.S. Uh, US development program. They went to college together and played, so they have a connection there. Could that be a spot? Who knows? But the Islanders right now, it seems to be, at least when I talked this past weekend, that the reason that Cadre's isn't signed yet is they want to get their cap under control first, which makes sense yeah. leverage-wise. I think every team knows, though, what Lou's trying to do. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully you don't wait till September 1st. That's when we found out last year of like five deals. So, but again, so Lemurillo, anything's possible. A deal could get yeah. nixed. Uh, three people could get traded tomorrow that we weren't even expecting. Like, I you know, Bo's name's been rumored out there. He was at the NHL draft. Um, I don't think the Islanders would move him, but his cap hit is a little over, uh, a little over four. So it, could make sense. He probably is not a hard person to trade at being 24, 25 years old. So that might be easier for the Islanders to do if they want to make the, the return move. just probably wouldn't be there for him. Cause the returns definitely not. He's coming off a yeah. uh, really, I mean, again, we say for every one of the Islanders last year was bad, but Bo's year was the definition of what the Islanders went through in a nutshell. You never want to see a player of his caliber be a scratch on nights and struggle or play fourth line minutes like we saw. But again, he's young, he's got speed, and in the NHL today, every team's going to take a gamble on a guy. I mean, look at how many teams did Michael Grabner hop to? And that was that was before yeah. the NHL turned justice, not justice, speed, and skill, but that's predominantly what this league is, especially in the regular season, what this league's about. So I don't think trading Bo would be hard. I don't think trading Pajot would be hard. I think the issue is Bailey, and he, he's seven games away from 1,000 with the Islanders. And we all have this sentimental belief, like, you know, well, he'd stay, he should finish out his career with one team. But you have to remember... 
This is a business. And you see it. You saw it with uh, Bjorkstrand. He was on his honeymoon, gets dealt yep. from Columbus. That's a cap casualty move, too. They didn't get enough for him. No, but they also had a good draw. So oh, I, no. I, they, I was... were, they were okay with it. But, again, the Islanders, same thing. You're bringing on a player like Kadri. At the end of the day, this is a business where the Islanders want to get better. And, and again, I've spoken about it um, a couple of times. Is Kadri a great player and he fits the system what the Islanders do? Yes. But his signing creates more questions than answers because of their situation at center. They have four centers. You're going to be moving someone to the wing. We spoke with John Goyne specifically about this. You hear about it in a little bit, just about the change. Could like bars all benefit from being on the wing? What about a Brock Nelson? We dive into that stuff with John. It was a fantastic interview. Um, great insight on that. Yeah. So I want to touch on Kadri real quick. And yeah, you know the the one thing that I was cautious about when the Rangers were linked to him is like you had mentioned, he's going in his early thirties, right? He just came off a career year with Colorado, and I think that we all have to take it with a grain of salt. And it's unfortunate because, like you mentioned, Kadri is a great player, right? I, I think that. There's a reason there was a market for him. He's a center, which is a high-value position, and he's very good at what he does. But 87 points in 71 games last year with the Colorado Avalanche. He hadn't gone over 61 in the full 82-game season. Uh, that was his career high prior, and that was back in 2016-17 with Toronto. Uh, since then, you know, it's been 55, 44, 36, couple of injury-plague seasons, shortened seasons, COVID, lock, um, COVID shortened season, not lockout. But, you know, that that's kind of – what we're looking at here. So people are going to have to judge their value based on what he did last year, but also what he's done throughout the course of his career. And is that really the type of player he is or is last season? Now he just found his game and he's going to become that, you know, nearly point per game player for you every single year for the Islanders. They obviously need some kind of forward help. So getting Kadri makes sense, but the term and all of that, we're only going to know if it's a good deal until he, once he plays, right? Once he plays and he's able to kind of look at and say, okay, you know, he is playing like the Avalanche Kadri, not the Toronto Kadri, then you have a good player. But to to make that cap situation work and to move a player like Beauvillier and to still have a player like Bailey, you're really banking on Kadri being the Colorado one, not the Toronto one. So I think if Lula Marillo is going to move somebody, it has to be Bailey. You know, forget the sentimental stuff. Like you mentioned, it's a business. So you, you got to make sure that you're moving the worst player in this case, keeping Beauvillier, keeping as much talent as you possibly can on that roster because they don't have the the prospect pool to really dive into. And it's, again, we talk about how the Islanders core is old and I, you could say that obviously you have guys that are already over 30, but you do have young guys, like I said, Beauvillier, Wallstrom, Barzal, Bellows, if you keep him and you play him. You know, Dobson, Romanov now. I mean, this team this team is on the older side, but you do have young pieces. The problem is if the Islanders give Kadri a long-term deal and it backfires, that's just another aging veteran that you have. Again, I'm not going to say this core is old just because there are young players that will be around for a while. But at the same time, another contract that doesn't pan out, even Andrews Lee is coming off a fantastic year. He's on a 7 by 7 deal. Like towards the end of that deal, it probably won't make sense. To have Kanji under contract till he's 38, 39 years old. Again, most long-term deals the last couple of years are a write-off. It's, you're not you're paying for them now, what they're going to yeah. do over the next couple of years. And again, this is a move for the Islanders if they make it. It's it's just a move that says we're going to like we're going for the win because it's Stanley Cup or bust. Even after these after even after last year and what happened, this team is still closer to a Stanley Cup than they are to than they have been in quite some time. Still same group of people. And Lou believes in this group. I mean, he said at the deadline, which is why he didn't make any moves. He said it after the season, like, I still believe in this team. You know, when he said he, if he's going to make moves, it's going to come via trade, which we haven't seen yet. I I'm, I talked to someone this morning who threw out a couple of things at the Islander. There's things there's things cooking. There's uh, Lou's working not just one trade. It could be many trades. And that's the confusing part because he works in the shadows. I mean, can we see Scott Mayfield who's got one year left in his deal move? I know that was rumors about potentially – Vancouver needing a defenseman. Could they do something there with JT Miller and still get that? I mean, again, when Lou doesn't talk, when things don't happen, it, it's so quiet. It's very hard to figure out what is going on inside his head. And that's that's the way he likes it. He wants people thinking, I mean, could the Islanders go and get Sonny Milano and bring back the Long Island guys? Depth? There, there's so many things that could happen. And if Lou's in the works trying to move contracts and bring in players and talent, then hopefully for the Islander fans and their, and their sake that this team come the start of the NHL season is ready to go, ready to bounce back and prove that, Hey, 
We could do. We could play. I mean, the biggest question mark for the Islanders: Can they handle eighty-two games? We know what they could do in the playoffs. We know, especially if they have a guy like Kadri. The problem is, you need players in your lineup that are going to get you to the postseason. I think the perfect example is Jordan Eberle, and and the whole thing with Kyle Palmieri. Kyle Palmieri is a player that helps you in the playoffs. We saw what he did. Jordan Eberle is the guy that gets you to the playoffs. You know, there, there's players that during the regular season come through and maybe don't come through as we saw in the postseason, but there are certain players that you need during the regular Like Josh Bailey is a perfect example. Struggles in the regular season, but is an animal in the playoffs. But you don't get to see that animal if the honors don't make it. And you need those players to come onto this team now to get them over that hump offensively, score a couple more goals, win those closer games that maybe you were losing because you didn't have the offense. I mean, Brendan, you're a defenseman transitioning is so important. The Islanders transition game last year was terrible. You it's lost Pula. You it's lost Pula. Yeah, yeah you, lo- you lost Nick Letty. And I don't think the issue was move- losing Nick Letty. It was the fact that Char was boarding for Letty. Again, completely different games. Char is not a, a the fast skater. Like he's not, he's got the long reach. He's good defensively. You know, when he, when he's on his game, obviously age has an impact on you, but Pulak was out, so the transition game didn't help, which meant less opportunities for the offense. And the offense wasn't coming through in those moments, which they'd done in the past. The Islanders' offense was never this run-and-gun offense. It was more of, okay, let's transition the puck. Let's dominate the zone. We get that one or two chances in the third period. The second period, we're going to bury. We're going to come through on, at a higher rate, and we just never saw that last season. So it's a very interesting what's going to happen with the Islanders just because there's so much unknown of what this roster could look like. But – I think the Islanders will be competitive. And I think, again, I don't think lose on the hot seat, but this is a huge critical season for the New York Islanders after what happened last year and a couple of years prior. He's got to be on the hot seat. And I also think that a lot of the stuff that, you know, is rumored or speculated could just be speculation because people are kind of hoping he does something at this yep. point. It's like yep. poking a bear, you know? So that's it, poking it, a bear that's <laughs> sleeping because you don't want to. You know. He's hibernating right now. So uh, you got to, you got to do something. And, the Islanders have those young pieces, right? They have the most important young piece in the goaltender. He's he's not too young. Yeah, he but just he's, turned 27. Exactly. That's prime, he's, prime age. He's in his prime. He's ready to carry a team. But they their window is semi-closing because they do have the older roster players who are on their way out. And when you sign a player like Kadri, whether it's, say, it's seven by seven, the four, yeah. four to seven at that point are, are a wash. You don't care what happens then because you have to win in the next Yeah, the Islanders are probably – their window to win is probably not in five – in five years they haven't won. I'm assuming this team's going to have been blown up. Correct. The, the Rangers just did the same thing with Vincent Trocek, right? They gave him the, that long-term contract because once the no-movement clause is gone after year three, that's when he's going to be gone. They, they look at the next three years as their main window to win, and then after that they'll retool on the fly because you still have the young pieces. So – it's the Rangers and Islanders are similar boats. They're just the Islanders right now are a little ahead of where yeah. their curve is. They're going down more than the Rangers are on their come up and they got to retool on the fly. So speaking of retooling big prospect tournament coming up, we got the world juniors starting in August. It was canceled due to COVID in December, which is when it usually is. So good for us. We get some hockey in August that we can watch. I know I've been salivating for some hockey uh, recently, just watching old highlights, things like that, because with the way the Yankees. Oh, I was going to say, you mean, you mean Garrett Cole and the Yankees aren't doing it for you? Terrible. I mean, baseball is a sport where I, I love and I'll watch the Yankees whenever they're on, but yeah, I, I can't watch it like I can watch hockey daily. It's just, I need breaks. So uh, I've, been, I've been craving some hockey highlights, but the Rangers and Islanders will have a couple of players there. I think the Rangers have six in total. Uh, Brett Berard will be playing for USA, Dylan Garand, Will Cooley. Brennan Othman for Canada. Adam Sikora will be playing for Slovakia. And Kali Vasainen will be playing for Finland. So you got six guys that you can watch. If you're a Rangers fan looking at the prospects, I think the Canadian prospects are probably the biggest draw. But Adam Sikora, who they just took this year in the second round, it's got to be up there too. He's not even 18 yet. He's going to be playing in the World Juniors. So we'll, we'll see what he uh, got. They're so young, Brendan. We're so old. Yeah, know, the Islanders, every year I feel that way. <laughs> so the Islanders have three um, prospects playing for Finland. They got Atu Ratu, Itu Lucas, and Matthias Rajaniemi. Um, and then you have for Team Canada, William DeFore. I think that's the biggest draw right now just because this guy, what he did last year in the queue with the St. John Sea Dogs. He was a Memorial Cup champ. He was the most valuable player of the league during the regular season with 56 goals. He won the most valuable player of the Memorial Cup. I mean – he won everything last year that you probably could win. And he's a young guy. The question becomes, can 
it's his potential. Like he was age 20. So he was the oldest you could be in the queue and he's playing against 17, 18. I, it's not a, like people, I think take the age a little too much because he was playing against people that were 18, 19. It wasn't just him playing. I think there's like a, people believe that he was going against 16 year old and that's why he dominated and all that kind of stuff. But 56 goals, 60 assists in 66 games. I mean, he broke records that Jonathan Huberto set with the St. John Sea Dogs. So we'll see if it translates. But playing for Team Canada, again, another juniors tournament, so you got to take it with a grain of salt, his age. But this is a guy that we're going to see in the AHL this upcoming year. Same with, same with Atu Ratu. We saw briefly at the end of last season in the, in the playoffs there. And he showed great signs that he could be a, a top player. And Ratu might have been the steal of the draft. So he was drafted in 2021, 152nd overall. And this was a couple of years after people said he could be like a, a top pick. And COVID yeah. impacted his seasons. He admitted to it. Like mentally, it impacted his seasons. He fell. The Islanders took a chance. I'm not sure any other team did not just take a flyer on him, given his potential. And I think if you're looking at grading prospects, it's Ratu before Dufour. I don't think it's a question just because Ratu has played against adults playing over in Finland. Finland. The same yep. thing we saw, what was it, a couple years ago with the um, was the Rangers with Kako when they drafted oh, yeah. Kako and the whole talk look, with look Kako and Hughes. Out. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, though, against men who's – are you more mentally or physically mature enough to play in the NHL? I think that's where I'm getting at here. But, yeah, no, the Islanders' prospects to watch. So, like you said, we're craving hockey. This tournament's going to be fun, unfortunately, with everything that's going on in Hockey Canada. There's going to be this shadow over this tournament just because – you know, it's there's life, there's things bigger than hockey, and you're at the center of it when you're hosting a tournament in Canada. So we'll see how that all plays out. But yeah, hockey, hockey will be back. I mean, you have the debut league going on right now. I know the Rangers have a couple of players. I know Keandre Miller's playing in it, Brock Nelson, Anders Lee, Zach Parise, Geek for Bellows. They got guys in there as well. Obviously, if you've watched it, it's more like an all star game where there's no hitting, you get skilled, the goalies get hung it out to do dry. It for me, man. No, no. I mean, you could see a guy like Brock Nelson scoring 18 goals a game. And, you know, that's just that's a, that's a Tuesday night for Brock Nelson at the, the Beauty League. So it's just, it's rough. I think the Rangers, Keandre Miller and Lingren are the only two that are in it Lingering, at least right. that I've seen. So you're not really watching those two for the goals. Miller can, can score, but Lingren's more of a, a bruiser. So that's not really the league for uh, for him. But yeah, the World Juniors will be an exciting tournament. It always is. You always have the heavy favorites, right? Canada, Russia, Sweden, Finland. USA, yeah. but it's one of the few tournaments where any country any year can actually win it just because of the amount of it's you're talking about U20. So there's a lot of inconsistency, a lot of stars that come out. And, you know, the Rangers fans know that tournament very well. But before uh, we move on quickly, I just yeah. want to say um, one of the Islanders draft prospects from this year, they drafted him at number 65, Calio Delius, 18 years old, left handed defenseman. Um, he's from Sweden. He did not make the cut for Sweden. Um, this yeah, guy, that's... after he was drafted, or a couple of days afterwards, said that he was shocked he fell that far. This is a guy that could have gone in the first round. So he went 65th. He's got a lot to prove. He's got a chip on his shoulder. Great person to talk to. Seems like a great down-to-earth guy. Great skater. Um, has a good shot. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, he will not be playing for Sweden at the World Juniors. That's a tough team to make the cut, too. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Sweden's yeah, loaded. Uh... Yeah, they always got some legit U20 teams. So we move over now. We talked about the Islanders and their free agent situation and Rangers are done. I mean, I know Mott's still unsigned. I don't think he's coming back. That's not really a possibility, at least in my mind. They already got Kako done to that two year, two million deal. So I'm a big fan of that contract. I think it gives him a chance to prove it. Not sure if he will, but it does give him that chance without paying him right off the bat. And by the time he needs his next contract, it the cap will hopefully be up, but their biggest issue last season was five on five play. Uh, I I know what the analytics said about, you know, the entire even strength play and analytics are not good. I don't look solely based on that, but there is a lot that they have to improve at five on five to be successful. A lot of that I think hinges on the aforementioned Kako Lafreniere going into the first line, taking that step. What does Kratz health look like at the NHL Blake? Can he be healthy for a full year and create off the four check? Uh, so there, there's a lot that you have to look at. I, I think that Trocek coming in, if he can mesh with Panarin, is a legit top, like top six forward group that not many teams have, especially if Kako and Lafreniere take that step. Because, I mean, you're talking about a first and second overall pick in that. You're talking about a superstar in Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, who we already know what he can do, Kreider coming off a 52-goal season. 
So there, there's a lot of talent in that top six. And it just becomes the question of can they possess the puck? And I think that everyone looks at the forward group, but a lot of it starts on the defensive side. I know we, we just talked about it with the Islanders, but it seems that whenever the Rangers struggle, it's not because their forwards aren't getting the job done offensively. It's because they can't get out of their own end. And whether that's the defenseman making that first pass, we know how key that first pass is. If they can't make that first pass clean and it goes up the wall, Every single time, it seems like the opposing defenseman has beaten that winger to the boards. And that's something that has to change. I watched it with whether it was Lafreniere or Kako, the young guys, whether it was Kreider at the end of a shift. You know, Panarin is really bad at it in his own zone. Like, it's really, really bad getting along that wall. You have to be willing to take that bump. And even if you don't have a breakout clean, chip it out. You got to make them regroup. Because if you leave yourself vulnerable to long-term, you know, attacks in your own end, that's when you get bit. So if they can clean that one aspect up, I think not only do their analytics approve, I think not only does their five-on-five play approve, but it also alleviates all the chances Shesterkin was facing on those elongated shifts. And if he's facing five less shots per game, two to three high-danger chances less per game, imagine what he could do. Uh, It's the same thing with Sorokin. If the Islanders can limit the chances that they have against Sorokin, these guys are going to stop pretty much everything. So to me, that's the biggest you know takeaway from what the Rangers have done this offseason. It's hinging a lot on the youth. And I think a bigger thing with Trocek, too, he's a great faceoff guy, too, right, if I'm not mistaken. And I think the Rangers, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about five-on-five play. I think winning faceoffs is a critical part of that, whatever zone. I mean, especially in the defensive zone to get out there and have more offensive opportunities because I know the Rangers aren't a strong uh, faceoff team. So I think that does impact their five-on-five play. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Mika Zibanejad won 52% of his faceoffs last year, but uh, after him, there was nobody above. But as a team, though, I 50. don't think they were they were great. Yeah, they're they're dragged down because Philip Edel is just abysmal at taking faceoffs, so he's like 38%, and that really Jeez, that's destroys crap. But last year, you know, Trocek was 54.62%. The year before that, he was at 56. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, so you're adding if Mika Zibanejad could stay at that 50 to 52 mark you're talking about your top two centers are both winning over 50% of their draws. And when you have a team like the Rangers, whose defense is as mobile as they are, and especially in the offensive zone, if you could win that puck back 50% of the time to Adam Fox or 56% of the time to a Miller Fox, like you're talking about immediately creating chances. And we've, we've noticed that in the last five, six years when the Rangers were really struggling at times, they just seemed like they lost every draw. And, you know, it actually goes back to, when they were in the playoffs, they were still terrible at faceoffs. Yeah, I remember and, that. There's some stat I forgot what it was, but it's, I'm trying to remember. It's only about their offensive zone faceoff winning percentage, and it was it was a num- mind numbing stat. I forgot it was what it was. Brutal. And they they were actually running faceoff plays every single faceoff with the thought process that they were losing it. Like they had players going behind to try and intercept it. Yeah. And the play that they wound up beating the Capitals on in game seven, which was, you know, Derek Stepan's famous goal and my favorite goal, probably Rangers history was a faceoff play. Like they had the guy at the bumper spot, but he had actually won it to the side and because of where he was positioned, was able to get it back to Girardi. And now, you know, the rest. So they were winning games because of faceoff plays that were designed to lose draws. So it's not necessarily a make or break for a team, but if you ask any coach, ask any player, you want to possess the puck off the draw, especially what it, you got 50 face-offs a game. Like, you want to win the majority of those. Yeah, and uh, I know that's your favorite goal because at college you had a whole blown-up uh, oh, picture behind uh, behind your bed, uh, on top of your bed, whatever, on your wall of, of that goal, if I'm not mistaken, right? Or was your background yeah. on your computer? So, I don't know. You had it all over no, the place, was, I think. I had the, uh, the hype flag that I made. Yes, uh, yes. I customized it, put it on the yes. wall. That was after somebody uh, you know, stole all my other flags when I was a cripple. Like. I remember when I had my crutches, my yeah. Thanks for thank you for thank for clarifying that that you're on crutches before we left (laughs) that open ended like that. (laughs) No, I was I blew out my knee in a hockey game, first game of the season. That was wild year against Syracuse. Against Syracuse, and I wound up crutching around until I got off crutches, and then a month later, COVID hit. So (laughs) my senior year of college was just gone. But yeah, somebody took advantage. Your senior year of college was crippled. Yes. It was it, yes. very good, very good pun there. But Thank you know, you. before we dive down this rabbit hole, um, yeah, we, should, <laughs> we should not about, do that. Let's talk about a couple other things quick before we wind up tossing it over to the interview. So I don't know if you saw the picture of the red. Oh, uh, I did. Coyotes. All right, so I'm very mixed on this. Okay, all right. Let, let me go first. Before okay, <laughs> okay. Let me go. just go first. Okay. 
it's it's a terrible look. If I am a college, if I go to ASU, right, that's where they're playing. Yep. I'm like, this is sick. This is I am literally going to see a well, if you want to call them a professional hockey team, I'm going to see a professional NHL team play in this. This place is going to be so loud. I don't think you can have Arizona Coyote fans dominating this place. You can have the kids that show their their school ID get in for five dollars. Like th- this place is going to be incredible. Like think about it. I know the Rangers. What do they play on Halloween? There, like like the for, day after. Yeah, like it's before. going to be the atmosphere is going to be amazing there. Um, but what I will say is, especially for Long Island fans, like New York Islander fans. You had NASA Coliseum where Gary Bettman told you that the Islanders could no longer play at NASA Coliseum because it didn't fit the, the um, regulation size and the hold the fans and everything like that for an NHL team. There were rumors that they were gonna the Islanders were gonna have to relocate. Then they got Barclays, which was just a disaster. Then they moved back to the Coliseum and split time because Barclays wanted them out. Then you have Belmont built. So to now say that this is legally okay, Bettman's saying this is okay. Um, how does that how does that work? How, how can you say this is okay when the Coliseum wasn't? But so I think there's an issue here just in terms of Bettman. Like wh- why? Like there should be an explanation, or you should come out and say what's well, why. I think Islander fans deserve to know what changed. Now you could say like just policy changed, and there were things that happened. These were this is a couple of years ago with the Islanders. Obviously, years ago, like things do change. That's fine. Come out and address it because I think Islander fans are all wondering how this is allowed and the Coliseum wasn't. I think the Coliseum was their permanent home, and this is a temporary fix until the arena is built. So that's probably the the main. But again, though, it's all about money and and holding fans. If this is not an NHL regulation sized rink, then how does that work? Uh, I I agree with that. Again, I don't. I if Batman comes out and gives just one answer, you have to obviously Islander fans have to live with it. Just give an answer because. I don't know if I'm just going to speculate and say this is this is madness. I mean, the best case scenario is that there are it's packed every single night with college students because that would be a crazy atmosphere. But I don't think that if you look at the ticket prices, it's not like you don't have any. They're, they're not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that. Like I mean, they should. They should. To, well, you're every single seat there is the 100s in any other arena like rows one to 12. Yeah, it's literally so a high school sitting, barn, college barn. But I think you're going to make – they're probably going to make more money this year in ticket sales than they were the last couple of oh, years. Oh, yeah, because no one goes to Arizona Coyote games. So if you can sell out that 5,000-seat arena and you're making a minimum of 100 bucks per ticket, that's they're, they're doing all right. So that's kind of why they can do it. And I get it's a bad look, but it's also a really cool look and an intimate look for opposing fans who – uh, I don't know if you're a Rangers fan, you have to pay $85 to sit in the stratosphere to watch a Rangers game. So now That's I fair. can take a flight there and I can sit on the ice for the same price. Like I think that that intimate approach is cool and it's temporary. Uh, is it ideal? Absolutely not. Like I, I have that mixed feeling of I'm like, this is kind of weird that the professional hockey league team, and it's a joke that this is the league that it's happening in because, you know, it's the, the out of the four major sports, it used to be, ahead of basketball and now we've dropped all the way where we have a professional team that's playing in a college barn but from the fan side and you know even revenue side for them i think that this will drive up the coyotes revenue a little bit just because of their fans are loyal when they make the playoffs but they're not loyal enough to make that commute from you know what is that when is the playoffs happening for the coyotes they well, when keep... it did um, no when it did uh, yes who, who was was Derek morris a score from the red line I don't know why. I Did just you see Derek Morris, the defenseman? Yeah. Oh, yeah. what a throwback. I don't know. Was I six years old or was I in diapers? I don't remember. This. I remember him scoring from the red Derek line. Norris. Wow. I haven't heard that name since I was playing like chill on my computer. But yeah, Derek so Norris. back then when they were decent, they, yeah. they had they were selling out a little bit when they were Phoenix, not Arizona. Yeah. You mean before, but, you mean before uh, the state had to buy them because nobody else would? Exactly. So uh, it's it's a very, you know – tumultuous situation i see the like, pros and i see the again the if you're live in arizona and you go, especially if you go to asu this is sick this is sick this is probably i mean cool yeah, i got people, friday uh, night we're gonna go to a hockey taking game college jobs now just so that they can afford the tickets that's very true oh well, yeah i wonder what happens with that are like if you work for asu and you work for the arena and you're a zamboni driver or you do ticket sales or you work the penalty box <laughs> I'm assuming it. those are, they're only going to get those jobs now for the ASU games. They're not going to get that. Once Arizona's in there, they're going to have the NHL guys. I mean, that's that's what the league should do. 
Um, but I know, like, I know ASU is getting a ton of money from the NHL to do this, or the Coyotes. They, they better be. They're, yeah. I mean, you know how many forty-one games? That's a lot. Well, they had to do. They, they had to do event. some. They had to do some construction. I think they had to do a little bit of work. So they, I know that the NHL paid. Obviously, it's ASU's campus and it's their rink and stuff. So good for. I mean, this. I mean, for ASU, this is a win-win, and it'll be a win-win for Arizona Coyotes. Just it can't be. It can't become. Yeah, we're gonna be here for X amount of years, and they're gonna make it. They're gonna send it for okay. We're gonna extend this another. Like that can't happen. Again, like it you said, this be, is uh, this is not long. Yeah, this is not long term. This is short term to get an arena built. So, so Arizona is definitely going to have to figure out an arena situation, and it cannot be ASU for the long haul. But we will see how that plays out over the course of the next couple of years and see how next season looks at a college campus for NHL games. (laughs) But without further ado, it's time to toss it over to our amazing interview with John Goyens. You guys are definitely going to enjoy it. He talks a lot about what it's like to coach and the juniors, especially during the pandemic, what he did side project wise. And I think a lot of you are going to have interest in this side project. So enjoy the interview. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. It's not just the thought that counts. It's your thought, because no matter how much time you spend picking out the perfect gift, the only thing they'll really care about is that it's from you. Here's to experiences they'll continue to cherish, season after season. Make this December one to remember, together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Joining us now is John Goyens, the new head coach of the Cape Breton Eagles of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Congrats, coach, on the job, and thanks for taking the time this morning. Thanks for having me, guys. So, obviously, you've been coaching for a very long time. This will be your second year in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. You had a few years off with the pandemic. You know, what was that like not coaching, and how excited are you to be back behind the bench? Uh, it was definitely, I'm not going to pretend, it was, it was definitely hard um, because at the time when I stepped down, uh, you know, a lot, most of the decision had to do with the pandemic and the separation from family. And, you know, uh, there were no more flights to the town that I was uh, going to. So I hadn't signed up. You sign up for a career with certain family sacrifices. But when you got to turn around to your wife and your three and a half year old son at the time and say, hey, I might not see you for four or five or I don't know, six months, maybe, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't sign up for that. And I think that would have been unfair uh, to them. And I've said for a long time, I'd rather be known as a great parent and a good coach than a great coach and a below average parent. Um, so yeah, it was, it was tough on the professional side. Cause you're not sure if you're going to get another chance, um, especially not being behind the bench for the last two years. However, I, I got involved in a lot of different side projects. Let's just say I was, you know, kind of working in the shadows and, and so getting the opportunity to not just be back behind the bench, but back as a head coach, uh, I'm, I'm really pumped for. Well, yeah, congratulations, Brennan. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people sometimes, especially when it comes to sports, forget the human element to a lot of it, whether it's players, coaches, and all of that. So it's definitely a different side of it that a lot of people should start to realize. And, you know, in terms of a coaching aspect, young players are – huge in today's NHL, right? I mean, some of the biggest names, Matthews, Connor McDavid, are all very young still. So what do you see on the other side as the issues with some of the younger players in today's game that as a coach you look to correct? Well, I think first and foremost, it actually always starts with the expectations from the coaches and the old adage of just saying, you got to be all in, you got to be all in, you know? And the thing is, is if we understand the players the people if we understand the people first people will feel more uh confident in being so-called all in when they feel that they can contribute how can they contribute well their confidence has got to be up how is confidence built it's cliche it's little things and habits that build towards feeling good about your ability to contribute so 
we as a staff have to, on a regular basis, make sure that we are recognizing that little Johnny, little Joey, little Mikey, whoever it is, knows that there might be certain deficiencies in their game or might be down on certain things. They haven't scored certain on certain plays or, or however. So how do we, within a global team kind of structure, make the individual person feel good about their assets, getting them to realize the best version of themselves so that they're confident through adversity they're going to have confidence through missing chances and having that mindset of when something doesn't go your way, that now what mentality where you are in the, excuse me, you're in the driver's seat where you could say, okay, I missed a shift or I missed a chance or I took a bad penalty or I missed the back check and the puck ended up in the back of the net. It's up to me to say, I'm going to do, I'm going to take the now what approach into a positive um, kind of assertive manner and go forward. And then we as coaches have to recognize that we as coaches have to recognize that there isn't a perfect game. There isn't a perfect season. um, And there isn't an imperfect. I mean, imperfect is the perfect season. And so through practices, through video, through, you know, connecting with them uh, on the human side, if you will, we recognize that that development will be actually that much easier. That buy-in will be that much easier. And then it's going to be about then trying to filter through the fluff. Cause right now with Instagram and YouTube and all this stuff and TikTok, we're seeing certain skills that look really circus like, but actually are actually hurting the game. They're actually hurting the players because a lot of them don't translate to the game. So a player ends up, focusing on stuff and working on stuff and doing all this stuff. And I'm not talking about the Michigan. Hey, if you could do a Michigan, great. I will actually say here confidently because there's a couple, there's several players in Bay Como that could tell you this. We practice. I brought this to the table and my players thought I was whacked. We practice on the power play a fake Michigan. And we've now seen it in the last couple of years come to fruition where a guy fakes it and the guy picks it up and wraps it around. And I keep texting those players that guys, that could have been us. So it's not that we don't want to be creative. It's not that some cool stuff. Hey, listen, Zegers flips it over the net. Milano went it. Perfect. It worked. I'm not going to, I'm not going to crap all over that. However, that can't be a hundred percent of your focus. And so how do we filter through the Instagram skills to make sure that the true skill set remains that they can execute on a regular basis. Yeah. I mean, as a goalie myself, the Michigan's hard enough to read. Now you're adding the fake Michigan. It's, it's damn near impossible, but uh, yeah, good call. I mean, you're, you're talking about the game changing and um, that's what I want to ask you next. You know, what is being taught now that wasn't really taught over the last five to 10 years besides maybe these creative moves? Um. Well, I think now there's this real fight between and, uh, you know, whether it's analytics, whether it's experts without expertise, whether it's uh, people saying, uh, you know, that's old fashioned hockey or dinosaurs in hockey. I think, you know, as as the son of a, a hockey writer and and it's, you know, the old adage of, you know, if you don't study history, then you're doomed to repeat it. And I think that's what ends up happening. Everybody talks about, oh, I'm going to be this kind of coach and I'm going to do this and we're going to play like this and we're going to play like that. And the reality is a lot of them end up doing what they didn't want to do, which was old-fashioned hockey. So what happens is now they're taking square pegs and trying to fit them into round holes and it's not working out. So the reality is skating, shooting, passing, aggressiveness, a physicality with a purpose, but getting guys to play more with their instincts, with concepts, with collaborative efforts through practices and games and collaboration then leads to an understanding of all those things, all that support that comes with it. We could talk about one, one threes in the neutral zone and one, three ones and all that. As a coach, you have to recognize yourself as a chef. The best chefs in the world 
can open a pantry, can open up a fridge, and they can whip up something. They look at the ingredients, and they don't look at ingredients that are for uh, a shepherd's pie and say, I'm great at making shepherd's pie, but they've been given ingredients to make mac and cheese and then go, well, I need new ingredients. No, it doesn't work like that. We're going to show up. We're going to have a 23-man roster, maybe 24. We're going to look at this and be like, what are we making today? Like, what's the dish we're making today? Is it lobster bisque? I mean, we are on the we're on the ocean, so why not, right? Let's make some lobster bisque. But I, I just find, you know, a lot of times it's a so-and-so's kind of hockey, and it's a so-and-so's kind of hockey. It's like, no, man, like these people, look. if you also look at them in, in a way of like their ingredients, well, what works, what doesn't? And I know obviously uh, with your connection with the Islanders, right? Barry Trotz brought a one-one-three from Washington to the Isle year one by year two he dropped it before christmas he recognized it wasn't working so that's what i'm like in terms of certain structure that's up to us to recognize who can who can execute what in terms of fundamentals and skills and all that other kind of stuff and the instincts that's where we got to get the players to be more on their toes because it's easy every press conference is almost the same want to be tough to play against Want to play pay, uh, play fast paced hockey? Want to have puck possession? Want to? But the reality is, go watch some of the best Montreal Canadiens teams or the Islanders teams of the '80s. They didn't give up the puck. <laughs> they moved the puck, right? So a lot of this stuff is just old concepts being uh, fancied up with new terminology. I'll give you one. You know, everybody talks about linear crossovers, the way McDavid skates. Well, guys, go watch Pavel Burry, Mike Medano, Paul Coffey, Larry Robinson, Bobby Orr. Watch them carry the puck. We just used to call it crossovers. You know what I mean? So it's just this funny thing about those not studying where the game was and where it's evolving. And there are definitely some differences. You know, obviously fighting is is almost minimal. Um but I think in terms of the new part, it's I think the new part is getting back to what makes these guys so good. Let them have an understanding of the team structure, but get back to concept and instinctual hockey because the players will be so much more enthused to do to to play for you. Completely agree. And you know, you mentioned and alluded to a little prior to that question, going back to the pandemic, how you had some side hustles and side jobs and and you were doing some side projects there. So one of them was Coach's Cafe. So just take us through how that got started and what uh, Coach's Cafe is all about. Yeah, it was pretty simple. I was excited to be home, uh, especially during uncertain times. It was, uh, you know, whatever it was, mid-March, um, you know, hanging out with my son. But, I mean, the world is on lockdown, so that part's not fun. Then then after a couple of weeks, you know, you're going, as especially as a, a hockey coach and someone that's constantly – the type that wakes up in the middle of the night and draws something on a napkin type of person. Uh, you know, if my wife was sitting here right now, she would tell you that if, and when I do talk in my sleep, I'm actually, I actually coach in my sleep and she, and she makes fun of me in front of like our friends where like I sit upright and I'll be like, get him, get him back. Check. And she's like, it's nuts, but it only <laughs> happens on occasion. So, so at that time, we're talking March 2020, which feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. I watched how my wife and her company had pivoted so quickly to using Zoom. And I'm like, what's Zoom? You know? And I watched this and I was like, huh. So I leaned out. I reached out to a um, like a mentor of mine. And I had this idea. He goes, he's like, if you do that with the network of coaches, watch out. So I, I called up my, uh, Jim Montgomery. We're buddies. We've known each other a long time. And uh, he's kind of like me. We're, we're big hockey nerds. So I go, I got this idea. You know, let's get some coaches. We'll pick a topic. And it's like we just, you know, we imagine we dropped off our kids at summer camp and we grab a coffee and talk shop. It's a great idea. So I called up Gordy Dwyer and Ben Grew. He called up uh, DJ Smith, Rod Brendamore, uh, Chris Millette, who's the head coach in Kelowna and Vern Fiddler, who was the assistant at the time. And that's how we started. So Monty was talking to some guys. I was talking to guys. And then all of a sudden we were like, oh, we might run two different groups. And Monty and I will 
be with the two groups. But then group number two heard about group number one and everybody. So within less than 24 hours, we grew to 24 participants. And within a month, we were at 60 plus. And by the end of it, the list had grown to about 110 coaches worldwide, male, female, you know, uh, different ethnicities, college coaches, uh, European coaches. I mean, in the NHL alone, I mean, I guess this is the the name dropping. It's, you know, we had Jeff Blashill. Uh, we had Jeff Halpern from his staff. We had Newsy Lalone, uh, Derek Lalone. We had uh, uh, Jeff Blashill. We had uh, Jacques Lemaire, Scotty Bowman, Ken Hitchcock, Barry Trotz. Uh, John Stevens, uh, uh, Rick Bonus. Uh, I, I know I'm gonna. I know I'm forgetting names. Uh, Mike Babcock. Um, it was unbelievable. And and so we again we had to kind of. I had to kind of modify how we did things. So I pulled a ton of subjects. I I scoured the internet, if you will, for this. And it wasn't. Not one of the discussions was about X's and O's. Not one. It was. How do you delegate to your coaching staff? How do you build a coaching staff? What is the role of an assistant coach? How do you manage practices in a busy season with all the information that we have from sports science and athletic therapies and injuries and travel? We did a whole topic of uh, traveling through different time zones where we had a lot of coaches who had worked in the KHL. Um, you know, we had uh, we had Jeff Fisher, NFL coach. Come on. We had uh, Mike Kelly from the NHL Network come on and talk about analytics. Uh, we had uh, Eric Kapitaluk, who comes from a company called The Program, former Navy uh, Marine, I think Navy SEAL, if I'm not mistaken, and talk about that kind of stuff. Like it was just, it was phenomenal. And we ran 50 sessions. Um, from that, I was always, I ended up building a smaller group of coaches when, you know, uh, the fall came around. And at that time, I, I approached Barry and I just said, if I could ever be of help, because I really appreciated how what I call the big dogs were so involved in this group and so open to like, hey, John, um, here's an idea. How about the next three, four sessions? No one with NHL experience talks. We want to hear from the guys who are coaching junior NTDP like Seth Appert, for example, uh, or Dan Muse. Uh, we want to hear those guys talk about how they ran things in junior or in college, like a Jeff, uh, um, what's his face, Jeff Jackson at Notre Dame, for example. You know, how does he run a thing? How did John Goins run a major junior practice and seasons and stuff like that? And it was it was phenomenal. There, and then you, you, it was always like mini TED Talks for everybody. You got eight to ten minutes, no questions. And then at the end of those four pres, uh, presenters, then we opened it up to questions it was phenomenal the interactions and then i would end it at 60 minutes and then we'd do overtime and that wasn't recorded and next thing you know overtime would be like two hours you know and it was just nuts and so like i said i approached barry about saying listen through zoom how can i help how can i be involved and continue to learn from you but you know so i ended up for him specifically, not uh, not by the Islanders, not working privately for him. And, and I say privately, but it's open now. He's talked about it publicly. And I did customized game reports for him, gave him my perspective. You know, in, in my case, I wasn't emotionally attached to the team. So I can, you know, sometimes you're too close to the forest. You can't see the trees. So I, I was way back uh, from that. Then I got into consulting with uh, Sport Logic. Uh, consulting with more players uh, in terms of video feedback. So I had NHL, AHL, NCAA, USHL, and so on, where I was, you know, trying to help them realize the best version of themselves. Uh, I got on the ice a little bit more. Chris Letang before that first shortened season and a few other players. Um, uh, you know, actually, I did uh, color commentary on radio for American Hockey League, uh, Laval Rockets. I was, I was supposed to do World Juniors until I got hired for uh, French TSN here, RDS. Um, I, I worked for the Daily Faceoff throughout the playoffs this year. Um, 
yeah, I, I tried to stay as busy as I, as I could and everything I did was always involved in hockey. Um, but the relationships and the network and the knowledge from coaches cafe was just phenomenal. And, you know, I, I hope to, at some point here, expand it into something that could be a little bit more readily accessible. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's fantastic to hear. Like, like all of us during the pandemic, we wanted to keep ourselves busy. Me and Brendan, we graduated college during the pandemic, unfortunately, but we did a, we took a hockey scouting class just to stay busy. We were doing the writing stuff, but no, tremendous stuff on your part. I did want to ask you, you know, the Islanders are linked to Nazem Kaji right now. If they were to bring him on, you know, they have too many centers. Somebody would have to change positioning. And for someone who's a goalie, never played out in my life, you know, how hard is that transition? I know it's probably harder to go from a winger to a center because of the responsibilities, but you as someone who works with development, how, how tough is that transition? Well, I, and, I'll, and I'll go backwards on this just a little bit. And, th- and this this will be a good message for a lot of parents and, and, and youth coaches. Stop pigeonholing guys into one spot on the ice. You know, like I would get, I'll give you an example. Joe, Joey Valeno played as an underage in midget AAA for us. So he was 14. And everybody always says, oh, my son's a natural born center. And I always say, listen, I'm I'm still I consider myself a new dad. My son's five and a half. Nowhere on his birth certificate was I able to check that box. I didn't see it anywhere in any DNA report. So your your son or daughter should be able to play the sport. And if they end up as a forward, they're forward, left, right, middle, doesn't matter what hand they shoot. As they move up the ranks, if they get into, quote-unquote, elite hockey and then eventually pro hockey, you don't want to be pigeonholed because this conversation ends up happening way too often. The best teams have had the ability, you know, you look at Stamkos has had the, the ability to play both, right? I think we need to see more players like that. Kadri comes on, and if it's a righty that's got to be bumped to the wing, well, maybe Maybe in, in, in a convenient way, Kadri takes all the face-offs on his strong side. So now he doesn't have to get creative with trying to win draws on his forehand side. His, his line mate, who's a righty. So a lot of times as a centerman, the face-off part is just a starting point, right? Because on back checks, again, depending on what your concepts and structure are as a team, whoever's back first might have to play down low. That could be a left winger, right winger, all that type of stuff. So I think if, and I'll say this, if a player feels so much out of sorts because he or or she is going to be moved to the wing, then that might speak to maybe a lack of A, willingness, B, hockey awareness, and then you you find people that are a little bit more rigid in their ways and and not as adaptable as we maybe thought. So if you got that possibility of landing a cadre and we've seen it, cadre in control is a player everybody wants. Yeah. And I mean, on the Rangers side of things too, you know, Alexi Lafreniere going from one wing to another side of the wing. Is that, is that hard to, to switch wing sides? Well, I, I, I mean, I had the, you know, I had the, let's call it the privilege and not so privilege of coaching against them uh, at times. I mean, we always kind of bragged that in Bay Como, we started the year, Ramuski's a big rival for us. So we started the year with back-to-back games at home against them. And, you know, if it weren't for one silly little mistake, he would have been shut out in points for those first two games of the year, except for a shootout goal. Um, but Lafreniere is a guy that's more adaptable from what I've seen. I've seen it on the power play. I've seen him go from literally on the same power play from the off wing to up near the blue line to his strong side on the downhill to rolling around behind the net to the goal line. Any player that can do that at five on five can handle playing either way. And again, if Lafreniere goes to his off wing, for example, and depending on the type of breakouts, you know, he might be catching pucks down his off wing, which means when he cuts to the inside, his shots to the middle. I mean, if he's on his strong side and he's cutting across and he's sat, slashing through the middle, he could still have that opportunity to be cutting in and having his shot more f- face the middle. But again, he's got that big, wide, lower body 
that he could cut off people's arms and use his big butt and stuff like that. That again, I think for him, his hockey awareness is real sharp. He, he is more adaptable than uh, I think even people realize. And we started seeing even more edge from him recently in those playoffs. So I don't think it's going to hurt his game. I, I think again, there's been too many players that get pigeonholed and then end up pigeonholing themselves. I don't think you'll get that with uh, Lafreniere. Yeah, you mentioned that tenacity, and we did see it a lot more in the postseason from him, physicality and all of that. And people forget that, you know, the first overall pick, usually they just associate with skill, but he's got a big body too, and he was throwing it around. So I, I do think that the transition for him will be something that he can adapt to. It's just a question of finding the space similar to Capo Caco and the Rangers. They It's not as easy to find that space when you're in the NHL. So once they have it, though, they've shown that they can make that adjustment whether they're playing behind the net or on either wing so uh they i think that both of them will succeed this year in, in new roles and i know that Stefan, you want to talk about barzal in a similar fashion yeah so obviously if kadri comes on or they bring on anyone you know barzal might go do the wing obviously the way he plays he, he doesn't he plays as a center but obviously face off lacking a little bit he does play on the boards carries the puck do you think that he would be a good player to play on the wing or do you think maybe a guy like brock nelson would be better suited Here's a message I gave to Jonathan Drouin at 15 years old. The higher you are in our zone, the closer you are to their zone. So that's true. Right. <laughs> so, and especially with how play, some teams can play the aerial game and, you know, bank passes. And, you know, if a, if a D man, if he's up on the blue or near his, you know, D man, and I got to pick, if I think anybody would pick this, and he's facing the other way, he's facing the offensive zone. And the defenseman's facing him. Well, he's winning that race 10 out of 10, 12 out of 10. So I think it'll open him up to be a little bit more selfish on rushes and maybe stop hesitating and and peeling off. I think it's going to put him in a situation to have more breakaways, more odd man situations. And, you know, playing that quote unquote 200 foot game can sometimes take away from a guy like uh, Barzal with his abilities. And I'd like to see him be a, a shot first mentality more, especially on entries. And I think playing high up in the off uh, defensive zone will help him through that transition and, and be more of a threat off the rush. Cause again, I think sometimes with his skill set, he's limited it himself because he's always looking for that pass. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you nailed it. He, he always goes to the zone, peels off, tries to find the guy, cut into the net or in the slot. So great points there. Uh, Brendan, do you have anything else? Uh, we've, we've talked about that on this show so many times about Barzal peeling off. But, you know, we'll let you kind of talk about yourself for a little bit. What what are you hoping for in, in terms of your first year back in, in the queue? And, uh, and in terms of this season, what's your expectations? Well, my expectations are, A, and we already touched upon it, I got I to gotta touch base with all the people first. Right. I got I got to I got to get to know the people like I have a really good idea. I've been working at it for the last few years. And like I said, consulted with a lot of teams and, and a lot of coaches, even in the professional uh, level is, you know, what neutral zone we're going to use and what we're going to do here and there and this and that, you know, that's up to me to be adaptable to the players that we have. But if I I got to take time to really get to know the people first. We're a team that travels a ton. So I got to respect that, the energy levels, but I'm just excited and, th- and enthused to, like I said, you know, be a head coach, uh, be around uh, a staff, be around, um, you know, enthusiastic and motivated players. Um, and, and for all players, you know, yeah, everybody wants to play in the NHL, but the reality is some are going to play Canadian university some aren't going to play hockey anymore about after junior. And I want this experience that, you know, through through the losses, through losing streaks, winning streaks, rough patches, whatever you want to call it, that we're going to have a blast. Like, we're going to have a blast doing it. So at the end of the year, we're, well, even, we're not even going to focus on the bright, shiny objects. We don't want to get lost down that rabbit hole. We're, we're really going to just be like, let's focus on getting better. I know it's very cliche. Let's, but in an, in an enthusiastic manner, you know, and I, I've used this acronym a lot and I'm not big on putting a ton of quotes on the wall, but I've, I've used this acronym a lot with a lot of my teams because I think everybody, including the staff, can control this. 
and it's aced. And if every day you can say aced it or not, attitude, compete, effort, and details. These are things that everybody can control. You can't, you can't control that a guy's going to cut you off in traffic, but you can control how you react to that. You know, you can't control if the coach is going to maybe shorten your ice time all, you know, from time to time, but you can control how you react or if you didn't get a pass or you fell down or whatever, you know, but I, I feel that those types of, you know, uh, that type of approach can really help us navigate uh, the season and, you know, never put limitations or expectations on statistical things and, and just focus on having a blast competing our butts off to become the best version of ourselves every month. And, and, you know, just go from there. Well, John, thank you so much for taking the time to join us this morning. We really do appreciate it. And best of luck. Appreciate it. The Back Check is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Back Check. Follow the show on social media at BackCheckPod. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 